Red Salute. Welcome to the Manifestering Podcast. If you want to support this project, which allows me more time to produce and release content, you can do so on my website, manifesteringpodcast.com. There's a link to my Patreon, as well as a donation button that allows you to just donate through the site itself. You can also do so on my anchor.fm page. Just search for Manifestering Podcast. Thanks so much for helping me keep revolutionary media alive. Carry on the struggle against modern revisionism, 1965. We shall have to carry on daily the struggle against revisionism, adopting the tactics of area-wide seizure of power. Certain revisionist ideas are firmly rooted inside the party. We shall have to carry on the struggle against them. We are discussing some questions here. 1. The question that has assumed importance today in the struggle against revisionism is the complete support given by the Soviet leadership to the reactionary ruling class of India. They have announced that they will give India an aid of 600 crores during the fourth five-year plan. The idea that the Soviet aid is strengthening India's independence is extremely wrong. For there is no class analysis behind this. We shall have to place clearly before the people our views against this support. If support is given to the government of India, which is following the path of cooperation with imperialism and feudalism, it is the reactionary class which is strengthened. So Soviet aid is not strengthening the democratic movement of India, but it is increasing the strength of the reactionary forces in cooperation with U.S.-led imperialism and the Soviet. It is the Soviet-U.S. cooperation of modern revisionism that we are observing in India, a satanic association against the people's liberation struggles in the future. We are seeing from our experience in India that the dominance of the big monopolists exists on the production of the big industries that have grown in the public sector with Soviet aid. So the state will not be able to control the power of the monopolist employers through public sector industries. It is the monopolist employers who are controlling the production of the public sector industries. Our experience is the same in both the cases of steel and petroleum. Two. The question that has become important to us today is bourgeois nationalism. This nationalism is extremely narrow, and it is narrow nationalism that is today the biggest weapon of the ruling class. This weapon they are using not only in the case of China, but also in any question like Pakistan, etc. By raising the slogan of national unity and other slogans, they want to preserve the exploitation of monopoly capital. We should remember that the sense of unity of India has arisen as a result of anti-imperialist movement. As the Indian government is carrying on compromising with imperialism, that sense of unity is being struck at its root. There is only one aim at the root of the slogan of unity given by the present ruling class, and that is unity for the exploitation by monopoly capital. So this slogan of unity is reactionary, and Marxists must oppose this slogan. The slogan, quote, Kashmir is an unalienable part of India, unquote, is given by the ruling class in the interest of plundering. No Marxist can support this slogan. It is an essential duty of the Marxist to accept the right of self-determination by every nationality. On the questions of Kashmir, Nagas, etc., 
the Marxists should express their support in favor of the fighters. The consciousness of a new unity will come in the course of the very struggle against this government of India of imperialism, feudalism, and big monopolists, and it is in the interest of the revolution that it will be necessary to keep India united then. That unity will be a firm unity. It is from this consciousness of nationality that there have been struggles in South India against the imposition of Hindi, and 60 people have lost their lives in this year of 65. So if the significance of the struggle is belittled, the working class will isolate itself from the struggles of the broader masses. It is in the interest of the working class that the efforts for developments of these nationalities should be supported. 3. Quote, establishing class analysis in the peasants' movement, unquote. At the present stage of the revolution, the entire peasantry is the ally of the working class, and this peasantry is the biggest force of the People's Democratic Revolution of India, and it is by keeping this in mind we shall have to march forward in the movement of the peasantry. But all peasants do not belong to the same class. There are mainly four classes among the peasants, rich, middle, poor, and landless, and there is the rural artisan class. There are differences in their revolutionary consciousness and ability to work according to the conditions. So Marxists must always try to establish the leadership of the poor and landless peasants over the entire peasant movement. The mistake that is often made while analyzing the class of the peasants is to determine it on the basis of the title deeds of land. This is a dangerous mistake. It has to be analyzed on the basis of their earning and level of living. The peasant movement will become militant to the extent we establish the leadership of the poor and landless peasants over the entire peasant movement. It should be remembered that whatever fighting tactics is accepted on the basis of the support of the broad peasantry, it can never be in any sense adventurism. It should be remembered that all these years, basing ourselves on the support of the non-peasantry, we have looked for narrowness of the peasant movement, and whenever repression came, we thought that there must have been some adventurism. It should be remembered that no movement of the peasants on basic demands will follow a peaceful path. For a class analysis of the peasant organization and to establish the leadership of the poor and landless peasants, the peasantry should be told in clear terms that no fundamental problem of theirs can be solved with the help of any law of this reactionary government. But this does not mean that we shall not take advantage of any legal movement. The work of open peasant associations will mainly be to organize movements for gaining legal benefits and for legal changes. So among the peasant masses, the most urgent and the main task of the party will be to form party groups and explain the program of the agrarian revolution and the tactics of area-wide seizure of power. Through this program, the poor and landless peasants will be established in the leadership of the peasant movement. 4. From 1959, on every democratic movement of India, the government has been increasingly launching violent attacks. We have not given leadership to any active resistance movement against these violent attacks. We gave the call for passive resistance in the face of these attacks, like the morning procession after the food movement, among such instances. We shall have to remember Comrade Mao Zedong's teaching, quote, Mere passive resistance against repression drives a wedge in the fighting unity of the masses 
and invariably leads to the path of surrender, unquote. So, in the present era during any mass movement, active resistance movement will have to be organized. The program of active resistance has become an absolute necessity before any mass movement. Without this program, to organize any mass movement today means to plunge the masses in despondency. As a result of the passive resistance of 1959, it was not possible to organize any mass rally on the demand for food in Calcutta in the years 1960 through 61. This organization of active resistance will arouse a new confidence in the minds of the masses and the tide of struggle will arise. What do we mean by active resistance? First, preservation of cadres. For this preservation of cadres, proper shelters and communication systems are necessary. Secondly, teaching the common people of the technique of resistance, like lying down in the face of firings or taking the help of some strong barrier, forming barricades, etc. Thirdly, efforts to avenge every attack with the help of groups of active cadres, which has been described by Comrade Mao Zedong as, quote, tit-for-tat struggle, unquote. At the initial stage, in proportion to their attacks, we shall be able to avenge a few attacks only. But if even a little success is gained in one case, extensive propaganda will create new enthusiasm among the masses. These active resistance struggles are possible in cities and in the countryside, everywhere. This truth has been tested in the Negro resistance movement of America. Five, there is no clear-cut idea in the party about the underground organization. A secret organization does not grow merely if a few leaders stay underground. On the contrary, these very leaders face the danger of getting isolated from the party ranks. If party leaders go underground and work as leaders of open mass organizations, they will invariably get arrested. So the underground leadership will have to go forward with the work of building a secret party. So, it is not a fact that the task of forming a secret party is solely that of the underground leaders. Every party member should work for the secret organization, and through those new party cadres, the party's links with the masses will be established. Only then the underground leaders will be able to work as leaders. So in this era, the main call before the party is, every party member will have to form a party activist group. These activist groups will have to be enthused with revolutionary politics. This task of forming activist groups will be the main task for all party members of all fronts. How soon we can raise these activists to party membership will depend on how many new activists these activists will be able to collect. Only then can we get a large number of party cadres unknown to the police, and all the difficulties of underground leaders in maintaining links with the party ranks will disappear. Some revisionist ideas among us about political and organizational matters and mass organizations, etc., have been pointed out here. Today, party members will have to think anew about every mass movement, in the style of our movement, in our organizational thinking, in other words, in almost every sphere of our lives, Revisionism has built its nest. As long as we cannot uproot it, the new revolutionary party cannot be built. India's revolutionary possibilities will be hindered. History will not forgive us. What possibility the year 1965 is indicating? 1965. 
There are some comrades who get scared at the mentioning of armed struggles and go on seeing the specter of adventurism. They think that the work of building a revolutionary party has ended with the very adoption of the program. In other words, with the adoption of the program that is the strategic documents at the 7th Congress of the party. Merely from some resolutions on movements adopted at the party congress, they arrived at the decision as if besides the present stage of revolution and the class composition, the tactics of the present era had also been decided at the 7th Congress. From their words, it appears as if peaceful mass movement itself is the main tactics of struggle of the present era. Although they do not openly state Khrushchev's tactics of peaceful transition to socialism, what they want to say almost amounts to the same thing. They want to say that there is no possibility of revolution in India in the near future. So at present, we shall have to move along the peaceful path. In the era of worldwide struggle against revisionism, they cannot openly state the revisionist decisions. But they are abusing as adventurists and police spies anyone who is speaking of armed struggle. Yet, even if we leave out the mass movement of Kashmir, the government has killed at least 300 people during the last eight months. The number of prisoners has risen to several thousand, and one after another, the states has been shaken by mass movements. What programs are we placing before these agitators? Nothing. On the other hand, we are dreaming. Under our leadership, organized peaceful mass movements will grow up. This itself is a shameless instance of revisionism. We are still unable to realize that in the present era, we cannot build up peaceful mass movements. For the ruling class will not give us, and is not giving us either, such an opportunity. We should have drawn this very lesson from the tram fare resistance movement. But we are not taking that lesson. We have become anxious to organize Satyagraha movements. We are not realizing that in the present era, the Satyagraha movement is bound to fail. It does not mean that Satyagraha movements are altogether outmoded today. All types of movements have to be carried on at all ages, but the form of the main movement depends on the ruling class. The present feature of our age is that the government is fighting every movement by violent attacks. So for the people, the armed resistance movement has appeared as the most important necessity. So in the interest of mass movements, the call should be given to the working class, the fighting peasantry, and every fighting people. 1. Take to arms. 2. Form armed units for confrontation. 3. Politically educate every armed unit. Not to give this call means pushing without any consideration the unarmed masses to death. The ruling class wants that, for in this way, they can break the strength of mind of the fighting masses. The agitated masses today attack railway stations, police stations, etc. Innumerable agitations are bursting forth upon government buildings or on buses, trams, and trains. This is like that Luddite's agitation against machines. The revolutionaries will have to give up conscious leadership, strike against the hated bureaucrats, against police employees, against military officers. The people should be taught Repression is not done by police stations, but by the officers in charge of the police stations. Attacks are not directed by government buildings or transport, but by the men of the government's repressive machinery, and against these men that our attacks are directed. 
The working class and the revolutionary masses should be taught that they should not attack merely for the sake of attacking, but should finish the person whom they attack. For, if they attack only, the reactionary machinery will take revenge. But if they annihilate, every one of the government's repressive machinery will be panic-stricken. We should remember that the teaching of Comrade Mao. Mao Zedong's, quote, the enemy's armory is our armory, unquote. To build up that armory, the working class should take the lead. It should give leadership to the peasantry in the villages, and those very armed units will be transformed into guerrilla forces in the future. If these armed units also are trained in political education, they themselves can build up base areas for struggles in the countryside. Only through this method can we make successful the People's Democratic Revolution. By forming these fighting units among the working class and the revolutionary classes, we will be able to build up that revolutionary party, the party which can stand firmly on revolutionary Marxism-Leninism and can carry out the responsibility of the coming age. The government is failing to supply food to the people, so the people have become agitated. So it is in the interest of the reactionary bourgeoisie of India that India has attacked Pakistan. The U.S. imperialist plan of the World War is also operating behind this war. By attacking Pakistan, the ruling class again wants to create a tide of bourgeois nationalism. But this time it is clear like daylight that India alone is the aggressor. So as a result of the defeat of the Indian army, the anti-government struggle will fast crystallize among the masses. So Marxists want today that the aggressive Indian army should be defeated. This defeat will create new mass agitations. Not merely wishing that they should be defeated, Marxists at the same time should make efforts so that this defeat becomes imminent. In every province of India, agitation should be created on the lines of the mass agitation in Kashmir is progressing. The ruling class of India is trying to solve its crisis by imperialist tactics. To resolve the imperialist war, we should advance along the path determined by Lenin. Quote, turn the imperialist war into a civil war, unquote. We should understand the significance of this slogan. If we can realize the truth that the Indian Revolution will invariably take the form of a civil war, the tactic of area-wide seizure of power can be the only tactic. The tactic of seizure of power of China is the only tactic. The tactic which was adopted by China's great leader, Comrade Mao Zedong, the same tactic should be adopted by the Indian Marxist. From this year's experience, the peasants have seen that the government did not take any responsibility of providing food to the poor peasant, but on the contrary, the repressive machinery of the government was unleashed the moment the peasant masses took to the path of any movement. Over and above this, by attacking Pakistan, more burdens were imposed upon the peasants. So the poor peasants should get prepared for the next year, if they are deprived of the crops in the field, they will have to die of starvation next year. So prepare yourselves now. How can the struggle to preserve the crops be conducted? 1. Organize armed forces in every village. 2. Make arrangements so that these forces can collect as much arms as they can and fix secret places to keep the arms. 3. Fix places for hiding the crops. In our past days, we did not make any permanent arrangement for hiding the crops. So most of the crops were either destroyed 
or fell in the hands of the enemy, so permanent arrangements should be made to keep the crops hidden. Where can they be hidden? In every country of the world, wherever the peasant fights, crops have to be hidden. For the peasant, the only place to hide the crops can be under the earth itself. In every area, every peasant will have to make a place to hide the crops under the earth. Otherwise, by no means the crops can be saved from the enemy. Four, besides armed units, small bands of peasants should be formed to keep guard and maintain communications and other work. Five, every unit will have to be given political education and political propaganda should certainly be carried on. It should be remembered that this is the only political propaganda campaign that can make this struggle more widespread and strengthen the fighting spirit of the peasant. Two to three months are now left for harvesting. Within this period, the party units in the peasant area should carry on political and organizational preparations to continue this work and should attain a good grasp of the tactics of secret work. The main task today is the struggle to build up the true revolutionary party through uncompromising struggle against revisionism. December 8, 1966. The party leaders after long imprisonment, after the party congress, for the first time had a session of the full central committee. The central leadership of the party, which was formed through struggles against revisionism, adopted an ideological resolution and declared bluntly that all the criticisms made against the Indian government by the great Chinese party were wrong. At the same time, they have stated in the resolution that criticism of Soviet revisionist leadership should not be made public now, as otherwise the people's faith in socialism will decrease. That is, the mass must not be torn off the attempt that is being made by the Soviet revisionist leadership in collaboration with the U.S. imperialism to establish world hegemony. The leader of the Great Chinese Revolution, the Communist Party of China, and its leader comrade Mao Zedong, are leading today the proletariat and revolutionary struggles of the world. After Lenin, comrade Mao Zedong has today filled Lenin's position. So the struggle against revisionism cannot be carried out by opposing the Chinese party and comrade Mao Zedong. The purity of Marxism-Leninism cannot be maintained. By opposing the Chinese party, the Indian party leadership has forsaken the revolutionary path of Marxism-Leninism. They are trying to pass off revisionism by putting it into a new bottle. So party members should understand this clearly today, that in the struggle against revisionism, this party leadership is not at all our comrade-in-arms, not even an associate. Soviet revisionist leadership, in collaboration with the U.S. imperialism, is today trying for world hegemony. They are acting as enemies of every national liberation movement today. They are trying to establish the revisionist leadership by splitting the revolutionary parties and are shamelessly acting as agents of the U.S. imperialism. They are today the enemies of the people's liberation struggles in every country, enemies of the revolutionary struggles, enemies of revolutionary China, even the enemies of the Soviet people. So no struggles against American imperialism can be made without carrying out an open struggle against the Soviet revisionist leadership. It is impossible to lead the anti-imperialist struggle if it does not realize that the Soviet revisionist leadership is not a partner in the anti-imperialist struggle. The party leadership, 
far from following this path, is rather trying to convince the people through different writings that the Soviet leadership, in spite of a few mistakes, is basically opposing the policies of the Indian government and is still moving along the path of socialism. That is, they are trying to conceal in a cunning manner the fact that the Soviet leadership is transforming the Soviet socialist state into a capitalist state gradually, and that the Soviet-American collaboration itself is because of that. So, in the political and organizational analysis of India during the last two years, there has been no mention of imperialists, particularly American imperialist interference, although from Johnson to Humphrey, all the representatives of U.S. imperialism have repeatedly declared that they will use India as a base against China. Such an important question did not come to the notice of the Central Committee at all. So in the political and organizational resolution, no word of caution has been uttered for party members against the imperialist counteroffensive. On the contrary, after reading the entire resolution, it appears that there has been no particular change in the situation, that in some cases rigors have increased and they can be fought through ordinary movements. The party leadership is absolutely silent about the new feature in the struggles during the last two years, the expression of revolutionary violence against counter-revolutionary violence, this new emerging trend of mass movements. They pose the questions of mass movement in such a way that the simple conclusion that follows from it is that our main aim during the coming elections will be to establish a non-Congress democratic government. In no part of their resolution it was mentioned that this election was being held to hide the exploitation and indirect rule by imperialism. The reactionary government of India through this election wants to spread constitutional illusion and behind that, under imperialist instructions, wants to build up our country as a counter-revolutionary base of Southeast Asia and wants to stem the resistance of the people by violent attacks on the revolutionary sections of the masses. The experience of Indonesia has taught us how violent today dying imperialism can become. It was the responsibility of the party leadership to prepare the party members to face this situation and to hold up clearly that the only way was revolutionary violence and to organize the entire party on that basis. The leadership of the Indian party not only did not do this work, but it has also made any talk about revolutionary resistance illegal within the party. The party leadership is raising the hue and cry of adventurism whenever it hears about, quote, revolutionary resistance, unquote, or, quote, armed struggle, unquote. But at the same time, they indiscriminately use the words, quote, dehoarding of stocks, unquote, quote, gerau, unquote, quote, continuous stride, unquote, etc. But whenever there is any talk about resisting the repression that invariably follows these struggling tactics, they regard it as adventurism. The slogan of, quote, statewide continuous strike, unquote, is nothing else but a petty bourgeois like ultra-leftist slogan. On the one hand, this ultra-leftist slogan, and on the other, in regard to the political question, a desperate desire to forge unity in the electoral field, which means acting as an appendage of the bourgeoisie. So this party leadership is refusing to take the responsibility of the democratic revolution of India, and as a result of that, they're resorting to the cunning tactics of modern revisionism, that is, the path of being revolutionaries in words, and an appendage of the bourgeoisie in deeds. So the revolutionary party can come up only through the destruction of the present party system and its democratic framework, 
So to abide by the so-called, quote, form, unquote, or, quote, constitutional framework, unquote, of this party means to render Marxist-Leninist ineffective and to cooperate with the revisionist leadership. So from the party leadership to the ordinary workers, all those who believe in Marxism-Leninism must come forward before the party members with the revolutionary views of Marxism-Leninism. Only then can we start work on building the revolutionary party. The Indian government has been forced to retreat in the face of the India-wide mass outburst. As a result, the scope of democratic movement has increased in the period preceding the elections. The government is organizing the counter-revolutionary forces in this period. The revolutionary forces also will have to take full advantage of this apparently democratic atmosphere. The fighting tactics adopted by the masses during the recent mass movements were nothing but, quote, partisan, unquote, struggles of an initial stage. So the revolutionary forces must lead in an organized manner those, quote, partisan, unquote, struggles, and before the massive counter-revolutionary offensive starts, party members must be well-trained in the tactics of these struggles through theories and concrete application. The meaning of the party activist groups today is that they will be, quote, combat units, unquote. Their main duty will be a political propaganda campaign and to strike against counter-revolutionary forces. We should always keep in mind Mao Zedong's teaching, quote, attacks are not for the sake of attacking merely, attacks are for annihilating only, unquote. Those who should be attacked are mainly, one, the representatives of the state machinery like police and military officers, two, the hated bureaucracy, three, class enemies. The aim of these attacks should also be the collection of arms. In the present age, these attacks can be launched everywhere, in cities and in the countryside. Our special attention should be paid especially to peasant areas. In the post-election period, when the counter-revolutionary offensive will assume a massive character, our main base will have to be established in the peasant areas. So immediately now, we shall have to clearly put up before our organization this view that with the development of a sense of responsibility among working class and revolutionary petite bourgeois cadres, they will have to go to the villages immediately. So with the development of the sense of responsibility among the working class and petty bourgeois cadres, they will have to be sent to the villages. In the period of counter-revolutionary offensive, our main tactics of struggle will be that of Great China, the tactics of encircling the cities with villages. How fast we can silence the counter-revolutionary offensive depends on how soon we can build up the people's armed forces. It is true that in the beginning, we can achieve some success, but in the face of massive counter-revolutionary offensive, we shall have to retaliate in the interest of self-preservation alone. Through this long-drawn difficult struggle, the People's Revolutionary Army will grow up, the army which is inspired by political consciousness and made firm through political campaign movements and encounters. Without this type of an army, it is not possible to make the revolution successful. It is not possible to protect the interests of the masses. Comrades, instead of running behind spontaneous movements, partisan struggles will have to be developed in an organized manner today. Not even six months are left. If we cannot begin this struggle within this period, we shall have to confront the difficult task of organizing in the face of imperialist attacks.